neglecting your health, whether it's mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, however you want to think about it. But let's just say it this way. Neglecting what you need to live and lead at your best literally will kill you. Seriously. It happened to an Australian principal named Trish Antilov in 2018. Sorry for starting off with a little bit of a stark opener, but it's true. Poor Trish, you know, she just didn't come home one day and her husband found her dead at her desk. Quote, he said, she just didn't have time to look after herself properly. She was under a lot of stress and terrible pressure just to be successful in her job. So I agree with most of that quote, except that the part where she didn't have time actually should have been most likely she didn't make time. Right. I don't know the family and I don't mean to offend, but the point is this. If you don't take your health seriously, who will? Like there is a real cost to ignoring your own health. I'm excited to bring you today's podcast because, well, that's what it's about. I have an awesome guest named Kayla Tucker, and she is simply marvelous. And she also has a program uh, called Leading with longevity, you know, in mind. And that's the thing. We got to build up our systems, our structures, routines, and rituals to support who we are as leaders, right? Not to ignore our health until it's too late, but to take care of ourselves right now, because guess what? You matter. And living out our motto, everybody wins when a leader gets better. So if you think about that winning in the context of health, your whole community experiences a better education, right? Product, service, however you want to think about what you offer at your school when you actually prioritize your health. So not only are you worth it, your community's worth it. Hey, it's Daniel and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Develop your structures, systems, supports, and culture for excellent teaching and learning in every classroom for every student as a part of Leading Learning, a brand new certificate of school management and leadership course from Harvard. Leading Learning runs from February 2nd to March 2nd, 2022. Apply by January 21st. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. 
Kayla Tucker is the owner of Kayla Elise Coaching Services, LLC, a company that helps female K-12 principals to effectively manage stress and prioritize health and well-being without a dependency on time management hacks, exercise, or delegation. As a school psychologist by trade with years of experience in the online wellness space, Kayla is an expert on stress management for school leaders. Using a unique framework that is founded in resilience, biology, and humanistic psychology, she helps school leaders learn how to bounce back from the day-to-day demands with ease while keeping personal sustainability at the forefront. You can connect with Kayla online via her website, kaylaelise.com, and on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at I am Kayla Elise. And all that is linked up for you in the show notes. And welcome to the show, Kayla. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great. So I want you to bring us to a moment where you're at work and your chest felt tight. Yeah, so I was actually in my car. I had just pulled up uh, into the parking lot at the site for a project that I was working on. I put my car in park and kind of released my hands from the steering wheel and realized all of the things that I had been feeling that I didn't realize prior to that point. So by the time I had pulled into that parking lot, I had been in the car for almost two hours driving mm. to a site that was more than 60 miles one way from where I lived. And I noticed that my chest was tight. I had a slight headache. My mood was terrible. And I had to figure out one kind of how I was going to go into the building and do that work that I was supposed to be there for after already feeling exhausted just from the commute. And then two, my bigger realization was, I don't know if this is going to work long-term. I don't know if I can continue to operate like this within this system and with these expectations. Right. It sounds like a mirror moment, you know, for you, like a gut check for sure. So Mm -hmm. what would you do? (laughs) (laughs) I think in that moment, I really just took a deep breath and I decided to push through so that I could get through the day. And then probably the week after that is when I actually had the opportunity, the time really to take a step back, take inventory of what kind of impact I wanted to make in education, what the expectations of the system were. And what I actually wanted to do, like, where do I find my, my place um, in between those two things? How do I still fulfill the needs of my job or my role while also taking into account the kind of impact that I want to make and the way that I want to do that? So, yeah, that's like the short version of, of what happened after that. Right. And when, when you talk about taking inventory, I don't know if there was a uh, like a structure that you went through or was it more just asking yourself the big questions and giving yourself the time and space needed to process? That's a a really good question. I think it was kind of a combination of both. It wasn't like I had a very structured set of questions that I walked myself through or anything like that, but I did start to answer certain questions that popped up as a natural response of me allowing myself that time. So some of those questions were, what do I actually want to do? Like, what do I want my impact to be? Another question that popped up was, all of this, like after I came to the realization that all of this was related to stress, it was not so much about 
the commute, even though that was kind of the catalyst, the commute was only a piece of the puzzle. That experience Mm -hmm. that I had was only a piece of the puzzle. When I had that time to take a step back and think about what I was actually experiencing kind of from a bird's eye view, I very quickly realized that all of that was directly related to stress. So then I think my next question was, who else in this field do I know who is also experiencing this? Maybe not in the exact same way, but is stressed or burnt out. And a number of people came to mind. And then my next question after that was, well, what are they doing or how are they moving through things? How are they choosing to operate with this? And the conclusion that I came to was very unsettling. A lot of educators who I knew were in the, not exactly the same space, but in similar spaces were just kind of pushing through and doing what they had to do, not really taking care of themselves, kind of pushing this towards, you know, putting this on the back burner. And I knew that that was not something that I wanted to do. I knew that I, if I wanted to stay in this field, I had to figure out a way to be able to manage stress effectively for one and two, prioritize my health and well-being so that I could make the kind of impact that I wanted to make. Right, right. Well, good for you for finding the uh, the courage to uh, put your needs first, you know, because I think I think it's more common, right? Like like that day, okay, push through, let me get through mm-hmm. the day. And then that just happens every single day forever yep. until some people get a very serious wake-up call or it's too late, you know, type of thing. And, exactly. and that's, that's the deal. Like school, work life will keep take, take, taking from you if you don't prioritize yourself. So again, good on you. Like there's a mantra I use as a coach uh, that I took from another coach of mine, Rich Litvin, but he says, I help powerful people remember how powerful they are. And mm-hmm. I think you are a great example of that in the sense you took control, right? And people forget, oh, I don't have to live this way. Like I can choose, but you you have a choice there. So Mm -hmm. I'm just, I really appreciate what you shared. Talk to me about that courage that it took, right? Because you're going to make changes. So that has repercussions, consequences, a domino, right? So how was that for you? It was uncomfortable if I had to put it in, in one word in terms of who I am as a person and my personality, I've always been okay with being myself. Like I I have never really felt like I had to conform, which I think was the scariest part for me in this particular setting. Like in school, it was one thing, even in college, it was one thing that never really phased me. But then in education, I think it was different one, because like this was the career path of choice. And two, for whatever reason, in spaces with other adults where it is this, the experience or, or the conformity when it is related to the way that the entire system operates, not just the way that a particular person operates. I think that required a different, a different kind of, or a different, a deeper layer of courage. And it also came with a different kind of discomfort. So I think in terms of finding the courage to kind of do things differently. One big piece of that for me was just staying true to myself and thinking back on like in, in grade school and in college, how there were times when I did have to be the one to go against the grain or to do things differently from other people and how I never regretted doing that. Um, And thinking about how I could very much so create that same kind of experience for myself within my career 
In terms of some of the other pieces of the puzzle, aside from just me thinking about my personality and how I have kind of done this before and wanted to do it again, another consequence of that was dealing with the backlash or the response, I should say, because it wasn't necessarily backlash, but definitely the the more negative response from mm. particularly people who I was looking to for guidance within my career. Another like really big piece of the puzzle, I think, in terms of this for me was the fact that I was very young. I was very green. I knew what I was doing, but I was still very, very early in education. Like I was fresh out of undergrad. This was my very first job. And to a certain extent, there were parts of me that felt like, how dare I choose to do things differently or give this Mm -hmm. kind of pushback when there are all of these other people, some of whom are mentors of mine, who I look to for advice and for support and who are helping me to figure out what I want to do in this space. How dare I be the person who says, no, I'm not going to do things that way because here I am, I'm young or I'm new or I don't know everything that they know or I've only been here for a year and a half and they've been here 20, 30 plus years. So I think that is one of the consequences that was more so personal or internal. And that definitely had a big impact on my ability to be courageous in that moment. I had to overcome the external things and the external comments and opinions, and then also overcome some of my own limiting beliefs in order to make that shift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that becomes like a part of a sort of the unspoken culture. Just keep, keep showing up, do the work, you know, prioritize yourself, I guess, second, mm-hmm. maybe third, <laughs> fourth. Yeah. So what what would you say to the ruckus maker listening who finds himself or herself in this sort of situation? I think that the most important thing that I would say and the same thing that I often tell myself is that we only have things to give when we have enough to give. So if you're looking at it from the perspective of the consequences, right? Like we, uh, your current experience, you already know what the consequences of that are, right? Good, bad, or indifferent. If you're Mm -hmm. operating in this space of the work coming first, and like you said, you coming second, third, or fourth, or wherever last, basically, you already know the consequences of that. You know what that means for you in your personal life. You know what that might mean for you in terms of your health and well-being. You already know what the consequences are. So when you flip that and kind of look at the options for the other way of doing things or a different way of doing things where you're not last and you kind of put yourself first instead so that you have the best to give to everything else, I just encourage you to to be imaginative about what life could look like or what your career could look like if you focused on having the best to give and doing what was required for you to have the best to give as opposed to giving relentlessly and then taking whatever you can for yourself based off of the crumbs or the leftovers. You know, I think curiosity in in that asking why type of thing is uh, something I've gathered, a superpower of yours in the short time I've gotten to know you. What are some of the things you're asking about in terms of like why and what if when it comes to education these days? Ooh, that's a good question. Thank I think you. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. I think my my biggest question right now, in large part because of the work I do, is 
why does the education system position the well-being of educators as last, especially right now as we are still very much so in the throes of a pandemic and there are all of these additional demands being placed on everyone from teachers to support staff to school leaders, even without a pandemic, with the evolution of education, the, the way that we see things going in the future, those demands are going to continue to increase. They might not be related to contact tracing or anything COVID related 10, 20 years from now, but the demands are still going to be greater. So I think one of the big things I'm asking why about is why does education kind of pride itself on wanting to give students the best helping to change the trajectories of children's lives and wanting to support students to be able to learn and become productive members of society without also supporting the educators who would be doing that work. It seems very um, kind of counterintuitive to me to operate in that way. And then my what if is what if that wasn't the case? Like the way that I think about it and the way that some school leaders who I have worked with now think about it I know what the what the consequences are of that. I know how different things are, not just for us as individuals, but for for me, for the students that I serve and for them, for the students and the staff that they have the honor of leading. So my what if is always like, what if we didn't operate this way? What if there was some kind of mass exploration of doing things differently? Like how would it be possible for us to kind of flip the education system if we did this, you know, as a group, would it be possible for us to flip it kind of completely in a way where everybody could benefit? Yeah, those those why and what if questions are brilliant. Um I think you would love, and I know the ruckus maker listening would love, there's a book called The Beautiful Constraint. But hmm. understand the obstacles and challenges that are in in our path, how do we flip that to actually make it the opportunity? So the cool question that I learned from that book is then what would need to be true to accomplish, you know, and what you're talking about. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, a fun way of uh, exploring tough topics like that. Mm-hmm. I like that question, too. What would what would need to be true? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, Kayla, I'm really enjoying our conversation. We're going to pause here just for a moment for a quick uh, message from our sponsors. When we get back, I want to hear about live video content because you're the queen of that right now. (laughs) And also a pretty cool opportunity you put together called Lead with Longevity. Develop your structures, systems, supports, and culture for excellent teaching and learning in every classroom for every student as part of Leading Learning, a brand new certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Topics include aligning systems with instructional vision, creating structures for your students' academic and character development, developing your teachers, navigating change, and more. Leading Learning runs from February 2nd to March 2nd, 2022. Apply by January 21st. Enroll by January 27th. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, 
equitable in rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. And we're back with Kayla Tucker. We've been talking a lot about self-care and then getting curiosity, challenging really the status quo and tradition. Uh, I called you the queen of live video content. You put out a lot of great content. Uh, specifically, I see it on LinkedIn. Um, but you. I'd love, I, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'd love for you to just talk to the ruckus maker list, right? A principal, an assistant principal typically uh, leading his or her school. And how might they leverage live video content like you use it? I love that question. I, so, okay, my answer is kind of, twofold. The first part is, I guess, explaining more about why I like live video. Um, And it's, it's for me, it's a way to connect to my audience in a way that feels more real and more authentic. And I write well, but I do not enjoy writing posts to have to post, (laughs) to connect with people and to share information. So to a certain extent, it's kind of a win-win for me. I get to do something that I enjoy a little bit more. And like I said, it's also a way that I think it's easier for me to connect in in an honest and authentic way. Like you get to see me in my kind of imperfect state. If if I'm writing a post, everything is going to be very clear. I I will have dotted all my I's and crossed my T's. But with live video content, it's there in the moment. If I trip over my words, I'm going to trip over my words and probably make a joke about it in the middle of whatever I'm talking about. Um, Because that's just how I am. Like this is, you get to see the real me. Um, And I think that it allows people to easy, more easily connect with like the humanity or like a human understanding that there's a human on the other side of the screen that you're watching me on. And in that same way, to answer your question in terms of how a principal or an assistant principal might be able to leverage live content, I think exactly what I like about it is what is what is accessible for everyone who might want to use it. I think sometimes for parents and even sometimes for students, depending on age and general perception, um, whatever experiences they come into your building with, sometimes you can be seen, even if you are sweet as pie and a great person and very nice, you can be seen as, as someone who might be a little bit less approachable or I only see this person when it's time for discipline. So what are they doing in my classroom now? I think that using live content, especially again, right now, if you are still sort of in a hybrid situation or if you're virtual, it would be particularly beneficial for you to be able to show your humanity, which I know sounds a little bit ridiculous, but it's one thing to read somebody's email and something very different to see them maybe even say the exact same thing on camera. So it's a way for, I think, both students and their families to 
be able to connect with you in a way that feels authentic if you are being your true self in that content? Yeah, that is a good question. Not trying to be somebody else, but right. The humanity, the authenticity, you can smile, which you should definitely smile when creating yeah. video. <laughs> Uh, all those things are awesome. And then if you are working as a leader, which you should be on crafting better stories, uh, it's a great mm-hmm. way to keep, you know, practicing and, and flexing that muscle. Any sort of uh, mistakes, obstacles, challenges, school leaders who want to get into more live video to tell the school story that they should anticipate? I think, hmm, and that's a very unique angle because it's not just about you or what you are looking to share. It's also about the community that you serve and the, and your actual, your building, your school. I think in terms of mistakes, I'm not sure that I believe that there's a such thing as a mistake in terms of live content. Um, I think in terms of any kind of content that you put out, you obviously want to make sure that you are not doing or saying anything that is offensive to anyone, whether you have, you know, a diverse building or not, you should be aware of certain things so that you don't say anything that is not, or that people would take offense to, I should say. Um, So I would think maybe that would be like the only mistake. But aside from that, I think that it really comes down to one, knowing yourself, like we've been talking about, knowing yourself and being okay with making mistakes, like tripping over your words or, uh, laughing or smiling while you're on camera so that you can be authentic. And then I think the second piece of that is like really understanding the culture of your building so that you know what is going to resonate with them and what isn't. If you work in a in a building where you're always suited and booted and that's how the students and parents like to see you, you know, dress very professionally, that's one thing. Then maybe you don't Maybe you kind of want to find a middle ground between how they usually see you in the casual. But if you're in a school where people are going to look at you like you're crazy or they feel threatened by you in some way, if, you know, the community, generally speaking, like maybe cannot afford professional clothes or they don't dress that way and then they see you coming on camera that way, um, I think that that could kind of make things turn out in a way that you would not necessarily want. So I think it really comes down to, like I said, knowing yourself so that you can be authentic and then also really knowing your community so that you can tap into what is going to resonate with them. I think that is kind of the magic of live content. Like you're not just talking just to talk, you're sharing things maybe about yourself or to help people to better get to know you, but also sharing things that are going to resonate with them so that you can create that connection. Do you have any routine or ritual to kind of get you pumped, you know, get excited before you click that live button? I do. I think One thing I always do is make sure that I have water because I have this terrible fear. It has not happened to me yet, but I have this terrible fear that I'm going to have a, like a coughing fit during the live. So I always make sure that I have water near me. And then the other thing that I do maybe like five to 10 minutes before is listen to music, like whatever I, whatever my mood is that day. Like I know that I need to kind of have my energy on a certain level to be able to come across the way that I want to. So there are days when I'm tired before I go live, but I know that I wanted to do this or that I said I was going to do this. 
So I'm like, okay, what do I need to get me from point A to point B so that I can do this and be present in the way that I intended to if I weren't tired? So I think, yeah, the water is for sure one that helps me to be like less nervous on camera because really the only thing I'm nervous about at this at this point, like I said, is like coughing. Um, so there's that. And then the other piece is just kind of using music to boost me before I before I click that button. Yeah. Plus one, the music, that's that's a way to get the energy right. So uh, mm-hmm. really, really pro move there. All right. Well, talk to us about the Lead with Longevity program that you have. Yeah. So Lead with Longevity is actually in transition right now. It was at one point an eight week coaching program. It is now 12 weeks or three months, however you want to look at it. Um, and it is for Kate women who are in K through 12 principalship who want to learn how to effectively manage stress without a dependency on time management hacks or productivity hacks or delegation or exercise. So it's really for the busy school leader who knows that they want to make a shift, but they don't know how to do that. Um, And they don't necessarily have all of the time and the energy in the world to do it. So that's one piece of the puzzle. Um, And like I said, it is a, it is a coaching program where we really work through a variety of things, but the curriculum, the foundation for the curriculum is, is a unique framework actually based on my experience um, that I talked about earlier with, Mm. with stress and how I realized that I, aside from like being in a poor mood that day and having a headache and kind of some chest pain, I realized that there were other things that were going on that were related to stress and I needed to figure out how to shift that. So at the time I had a bachelor's degree in psychology, but I also studied human development. That was my minor. So I took everything that I knew from that experience, that educational experience, which was really primarily focused on the human development of children in psychology as it relates to humans at large or and or some some courses were specific to children as well but i basically took that information and figured out how to flip that and apply it to myself and that is how like that is my like tried and true bread and butter for managing stress doing the work that i want to do in education without having to fall prey to the burnout that i often see so many other educators struggle with so that became the foundation for this program it's basically the curriculum for the program is a cleaned up more streamlined version of what i did for myself. And I'm now very grateful to be able to use that to help um, principals to do the same. And then, you know, the beautiful domino effect of that um, kind of starting at the top of a building is oftentimes you, you get to see, I get to see changes in their staff and their students as Mm -hmm. well as a result of them making those changes. Yeah. Well, I say, you know, everybody wins when the leader gets better. Everybody wins when you get better. So I think this is a great illustration of that. Right. So the Mm -hmm. school leader taking her uh, health and prioritizing that then has the ripple effect, like you said, you know, with the staff and even the students. So that's a beautiful thing to do. I heard curriculum component. Is that is it one on one experience? Is it a cohort? yeah, so it it started off as one-on-one. Like I would say 1.0 version was the eight-week one-on-one version. Now 2.0 is the 12-week group coaching program. And I decided to do that for a variety of reasons. But the, I think the biggest one being that 
leaders really wanted to have community. They wanted this community. It's one thing to have my support and to be learning these skills. Like that's one level of, of helpfulness, but then to take things to the next level, I really wanted to be able to also meet the need of providing them connection with other leaders who were in that same space. Leadership can be very lonely. And then you add on top of that, like on top of an already isolating role, you add operating differently from maybe all of the other principals in your district or all of the other principals, you know, and then isolation just gets, it becomes more isolated. So yeah, it is going to be a a community experience. Brilliant. So we will have uh, a link to a page all you need to learn about the Lead with Longevity program. And I highly encourage the ruckus maker listening to, to check it out. It sounds like this, this is a this is a program specific to women in leadership. Did I get that correct too? Yep, that's right. All right, brilliant. Awesome. So we will have that all linked up for you in the show notes. Very cool. So I love to ask the same two questions to all my guests. Kayla, what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe? If you could do so for just a day. I, my message would be, you can only give the best when you have the best to give. And that is sort of a remix of not pouring from an empty cup, but I think it forces you to think differently about your role in your ability to show up in the way that you want to show up. Um, you People can only get the best of you when you have the best to give. So then the question is, what do you need to do to ensure that you have the best to give? Right. Well, we need to be true. So I'm going to have to steal that. What a brilliant idea. That's so, <laughs> so good. And Kayla, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. So how would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? It's a hard question because there are so many things that I would want to be included Um, One for sure would be mental health days to make that a staple in the school community, not a sick day, not a personal leave days, mental health days that people could take at Liberty. Um, The second thing I think I would want would be end to end support is what I call it. There might be a more technical term for this, but I think in terms of professional development, whether it be for the professional benefits for you to be able to do what's in your job description or professional development that's really more like personal development, like the kind of stuff that I do in terms of wellness and stress management. I think that there's a huge gap in terms of PD and not everything can be an information dump. I think that there are certain skills where, you know, if that's what you're looking to to educate people on, where that is possible. But there are a lot of skills where the information dump kind of style PD is not enough. People really need help with every step of the process or support in every step of the process from education to implementation to having to go back to the drawing board and tweak a couple things so that they could implement or apply again. And I think that if more... PD experiences had more of that end-to-end support as opposed to here's the information, now you go do. I think a lot of things in schools would would look differently. And then my third thing would be forced diversity is what I called it. 
I think to a certain extent, and not every school is like this, there are lots of schools that are very diverse, and then there are lots of schools that are not for a variety of reasons. But if there was some way to ensure that my school was diverse, I think that is for sure something that I would want because being in spaces with people who are not like us as adults, it makes us better as adults, which then makes us better as educators or as leaders, whatever your title is. And it also exposes children to different kinds of people. It removes the opportunity for people to live completely within an echo chamber. And I think, like I said, that being around different kinds of people really um, prevents you from being able to be so closed-minded or so limited in the way that you think. And I think that the opportunities that could come from that, just something as simple as shifting the way that you think about something or hearing someone else's perspective can really be the catalyst for for great change in, in education. Kayla, thanks for the deep dive into health and wellness. We spoke about a lot on today's show. And of everything we talked about today, What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? The one thing that I want you to remember is that you are already a phenomenal leader. You have the skills necessary. You have what it takes to lead. Be sure that you have the skills to be able to sustain that leadership. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.